Behind every successful production, there are dozens of people working day in and day out to make the magic happen. Now, we'll take a moment to shine the spotlight on them. I'm your host, Morgan Shea. Join me tonight as we interview some of the artists who make it all possible. Hello, and welcome to the Spot Night series. I'm your host, Morgan Shea, and joining me today is Kristen Prescott, Essexon Zarabozo, or as I like to call her, my good friend, KP. Hi, KP. How are you? Hello, hello. Well, how are you, Morgan? I'm good. Thank you for joining me today. Of course, of course. I'm so, I'm really, I'm really quite flattered you asked. Like, I'm so excited about this for sure. Oh, me too. Um, let's dive right in. Where are you from? What do you do? And what got you interested in doing it? Cool. Yeah. So I'm actually from Meriden, Connecticut, right? You know, I'm sitting in Connecticut right now. And I'm actually from Meriden, which is, you know, around central Connecticut, you know, grew up basically my entire life here. And what do I do? I, (laughs) when we have it, a scenic designer, I am a scenic designer, Um, just graduated with my MFA in scenic design. So it's like sticky official right now. That's cool. And what got me into doing it? You know, it's funny. It was a little circuitous because for a while in my childhood, I thought I'd be like riding horses and be a big animal vet. Then that dream died. And then I decided I was going to be an artist. So I got really into painting. I'd always been into like drawing and stuff. I got into painting and I ended up auditioning for a, an arts high school. It was a half day arts high school program through the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts. And as a backup to visual arts, I auditioned for technical theater as well which, you know, was doing all the sets and whatever for the theater department. And I got into technical theater, found out later, I did get into visual arts too, but technical theater needed the bodies. So they got, exactly. So they got first pick and, you know, I, uh, I got in there and within the first day of just like touring, you know, I, my, my, my parents had always had us going to theater, like since I was very tiny, like in in theaters, seeing shows, lots, lots of exposure for sure. My parents were very invested in having us being well-rounded and very exposed to the arts. So I knew theater and I'd always been on like the front side of the stage being mostly loud and excited, not necessarily talented, but uh, you know, I I got there that first day and we were giving a tour shoot. uh, Dawn, the technical director at the time was giving us a tour of the stage. And I just looked up from on stage and I'd never really done that before. And it was like, you could see the whole grid and you could see the guts of the theater and you could see all the fly. And I was just like, I've never looked, I've never really looked at it before. And I just was thrilled feeling like this thing I had always sort of known had this whole body and organs and systems that I just knew nothing about. It was so exciting. And then I, I came to find out that like design was great because it required me to be artsy and artistic and do the things I liked, but it had deadlines and structure and order and at least a stone's throw chance in hell of being able to like actually get work, like consistent work doing it. Like there were systems. And again, there was, you know, with my own personal work with uh, like, you know, more just my own paintings, they take a long time to cook. Like I'll leave something alone for years sometimes before I'll finish it, which, you know, doesn't really fly if you're trying to do something, you know, to, to make any sort of monetary gain. But I don't know, scenic design, it just, it, it, it intrigued me. It required me to use skills that I was good at, but it also challenged me. Like I still find it really hard to do. And it's something I always have to apply my brain. Even when you do the same script multiple times, the, the parameters are never the same. Everything's always shifting. It's this big puzzle. And, and again, in high school, you're design, you're doing the design and painting. Like I, I could get into like big painting which you know is also a lot of fun so yeah that's I 
it hits it hits all the buttons and is you know again in normal times at least feasibly a potential way to make right. some make some gain with those talents i think that's so fascinating that moment you just told us about where you looked up mm -hmm. and that moment when you realize there's more that goes into the production that you just saw than the production that you just saw. Yep. And I mean, in a way, that's just kind of the whole reason we're here right now talking about this is to kind of give someone else that look up moment. Um, and I love, you know, your journey into scene design and you know, somewhere someone said, no, give her to tech theater. They need more bodies. And right. that yeah. is a, a life-changing decision that someone made like, on your behalf. <laughs> yeah, it was like a glitch. I didn't even know about it. It was funny because at the academy, you were allowed to go look into your own files. So like when I was a senior, you know, traipsed into the office and I was like, golf, I was secretary at the time. And I was like, yo, can I look at my files? She's like, sure, this drawer, go. And I looked and I saw my audition form for visual arts and like, saw that I'd hit all the boxes, saw I accepted, and then saw that there was like some notation on technical theater and like go to, you know, technical theater got like first pick, like just the way the paperwork was framed. I was like, oh, wow. and, and you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a person of faith. I'm like, well, Lord, you knew what you were doing on that one. So always a plan. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, it really, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm just going to take this out. I'm glad you're doing this because there is that, uh, there, there is definitely so much, it, it only deepens your love of what you can see because when you see the thing and then it's just like it expands and you just have that, whoa, just the realization of how big and how many layers and how deep it goes. It just, I still, I still get that. I still get those, those shivers. I still get that when I, when I see everything working together. It's like, I still have no idea. I'm still such a baby. I still have no idea <laughs> how big these things can go. So as a fellow scenic designer, I know we'll have a lot to discuss and a lot of similar experiences to draw from. But before we get into all of that, I first want to take a second and congratulate you on successfully defending your thesis and receiving your MFA in scenic design only a few weeks ago. So how does it feel to have completed your MFA and could you tell us what your thesis was about? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I bet that's a fun noise. Um, yeah, no, completing my MFA is I think it's one of the first times in my life where at least like for an educational thing or whatever, like don't get me wrong, I definitely, I, I worked hard in school and like worked hard in undergrad, but th these three years were really demanding and really had so much and it was always constant simulation, constant work, constant pushing, always getting better. And also it's like kind of getting broken and reformed and it just, I mean, who I grew just like so, I grew so fast in these three years. So it, it feels it, it just, it feels really good. It feels so good. It feels like, I, I mean, I just, I came, I came out with this confidence that I, uh, that I definitely did not enter in with. I definitely entered in with like a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and, you know, and I still have a lot, you know, there's still definitely anxiety and a lot of respect for the craft and respect for how much I still have to learn. But whew, I just, I walked out being like, yeah, I still want to do this. I still, I still want to, you know, it's funny. I think you and I have talked about before that line in Tick, Tick, Boom, where, you know, and he's singing about, yes, falling in love with theater and like how he just always says like, I'm going to spend my time this way. Like that's how I felt. Like, yeah. I, I made a vow right then and now that I will spend my life this way. Yes. And so I, 
I still feel that very much so. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be more pleased with the training that I received with the mentors that I had, you know, UConn has a really, I think it does have a solid program. Obviously there's always room for improvement, but, you know, especially studying specifically under Alexander Woodward, that just, uh, that very specifically took me from like zero to a hundred. So, or maybe not hundred. Yo, still, still got plenty to go. Like there's a thousand beyond a hundred. So. <laughs> Level 100 out of 1000. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I guess, so, and then I think the next part was about my thesis, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm so excited. I'm like forgetting parts. Um, but the thesis, so technically it's an MFA project is what we are, is the, is the official title. But for all intents and purposes, the best equivalency is a thesis. And what we do in our program is you basically, you design a show. The show is that you are, you are assigned a show and that show is going to be your project or your thesis show. So my assignment was Little Shop of Horrors. And, you know, it's a cute little musical with a giant puppet. Actually, there's four puppets in it. So it's a, it's a she's a challenging one because not only does she have all the layers that musicals already come with, but then you are also accounting for this other really incredible element, which is the puppetry, because puppetry is like everything all in one. It's technical, it's performance, it's space, it's artistry. Like it's so, and it's this great other factor. So working on that, working with that team. And we were working under the assumption that it was going to be a fully realized show. I mean, this is usually how it goes is you fully realize the show. And you know, the parts of the project is basically you are doing all the design work as you would. And then you also basically create a book at the end. You create a large, uh, what would what could be turned as a production Bible. The idea being like, if you handed this to someone, they could technically do the show. Right. You know, using quotes. Sorry, this is an audio. You can see me quoting. Um, but and there's also some write-ups and things that you do. And then you basically have a, a presentation to a committee and you present your work and your models and all that good stuff. Now, unfortunately, uh, Little Shop, uh, the performance of Little Shop was COVID canceled. Wah, wah, bummer. Um, joining that, that tribe. But thankfully for me, it got canceled at first rehearsal and by first rehearsal, I had all my material except for the production, except for the realized show and except for kind of the, the things you realize as you're working through process. But I had my final color model. I had all my drafting that was in budget. Woohoo! We had done all the budgeting work. We had done everything. So I was still able to make a very comprehensive book like it really actually still fits the bill of being like you could pick this book up and technically do the show it has everything in it presentation went off without a hitch everything's good so i still i still did get a lot of like what you what would you would want within a show that's your thesis or your mfa project so that was that that was that lovely thing and you had documented this process um, so well, you also have it available virtually on your website. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so on the website, you know, there's kind of a, a couple facets. Like there is the, you could look in the little, in the scenic design, there is a, there is a tab for little shop and that is most, that's a selection of the final scene by scene model photos that I chose to put in there. But, um, the more detailed look is actually, if you go into the blog portion, which is called discuss further with designer and that whole blog at the moment is an in-depth digital showcase of the process. So not only talking in further depth and showing even more like visual 
uh, representations of my own work as a scenic designer, but I also have audio on there from the team because something that was so incredible about Little Shop was we had, <laughs> sorry, I'm so frustrated. We still had it. We had a killer team and it was such a good collaboration. We had a really strong director. We had the puppet designers were so great. The communication was, I mean, I could, you know, I will go right, on. Yeah. on. I have gone on and on about this. You can go over to kpezdesigns.com and click on discuss further with designer and you can you can you can listen. You can look. I actually just put up another another uh, uh, installment last night about the drafting portion, and then later this week I'll be putting up some of the the audio uh, bits are called Squad Pod because you know it's our squad. And I love so, it. <laughs> you know I'm all about the the catchy names. Um, but the most re the next episode of Squad Pod will also go up later this week, which is where I talk to in uh, the technical designer Kimberly and the assistant technical wow I said technical designer I mean basically true but technical director right assistant technical director Kimberly being technical director and Gavin being the uh, assistant technical director so, so all of this and more is available on your website we'll link it um, I highly encourage our listeners to check it out so kind of going back and reflecting on a scenic designer in general could you break down for us what the job of a scenic designer is and what your process looks like from start to finish? Sure, sure. So the way I would frame what a scenic designer does is a scenic designer is working closely with the director and other collaborators to ultimately make decisions about every physical element that is present on the stage that is not an actor. and even and even it can extend out into structure of the theater itself because oftentimes designers will actually utilize the art, actual architecture as part of the scenery so it's basically you are responsible for working with your collaborators to make decisions about the physical space and what lives in the physical space as an object so what that what that looks like for me for my process you know we start obviously you got to start with this well you don't got to start with the script but i'm going to talk about a tr more traditional uh process as opposed to anything devised because once you get into devised it's a whole other that's a realm. whole other a whole other <laughs> podcast you're right mark <laughs> yes um but if you're if you're walking more down the traditional path you usually have a script and the script is going to provide you with the text that you, that the director and you, that you, the director, everyone are basing your world off of. And you're kind of at the whole time kind of leaning into the director. The director's often going to have the overarching vision and what they want to pull out or emphasize or de-emphasize or how we want to look at these moments and what this means and how, and you, you often get into the analysis. I actually really love the analysis. I love just talking about the script and the way the text works and how characters move. It is Ugh, I, could, I could I could talk about that forever, but usually they want you to actually do something from there. Um, so from there, you, there's usually research because yeah, the director will give some ideas like, oh, this is the period I'm thinking. Excuse me, this is some of the visual research I've been interested in. And then as the designer, I go galloping off. I try and synthesize. A lot of what a designer doing is a designer is doing is synthesizing information, a lot of information about all the needs that come with the show. So in this case, you're synthesizing what the director has said with what the text is saying to you and the analysis, and you're basically trying to translate into some visual research images that you can then bring back to the director. They say, yes, no, maybe, cool, let's go there. And then from there, you're gonna try and extrapolate from your research 
starting to think in physical kind of physical structures and physical ideas and what does this thing need and for me that starts off with sketching I tend to like to get things down with a pencil and paper and go from there first because that kind of helps me start ordering my ideas a little bit and once we get through to sketching again all as we go through just imagine every step I'm going back to the director and the director is giving me yes no okay let's develop so from sketching, I move on into the the sort of the white model work. So you know, you, I've been I've been trained to make physical models. There's also you can do three dimensional models in the computer. There's a lot of three D rendering. There's a lot of great programs out there, like basically trying to model the thing. However, you do it, I choose to do it in three D at this in actual like three dimensions at this point. So I'll go into my drafting program and start pulling out shapes that I'm extrapolating from the sketch, and then I create. When I say a white model, it's basically a model that has the structures, a lot about structures, less about detail. And we start going up from there, kind of building up the structures, maybe starting to get in some more detail. We revise, we edit, we go boomity boomity boom. And then I throw some color in the model. Like the model gives a lot of information to the director, to the designer, to everybody. So once we get up to a place we like, it's usually in this nice color model. We're like, okay, we like that. That's what we want to do. Boomity boomity boom, move on to, the drafting, the drafting, the drafting. And that is where you go into your drafting program. I use a computer program, I use Vectorworks, and basically outlining every single structure, how it works, how it looks, how it moves throughout the whole course of the show. Like you are basically chopping and cutting and pressing into two dimensions every single thing you want to do on that stage. And how it, and it's, and it's about how does it look, how does it work, and how does it move? And, off, and also other fun things like where does it store? Does it have to do anything special? Is it heavy and has to be moved by a person? Is it an automation? It's, this is where you start kind of parsing out the details because you have to be able to hand as much detail as you can to your collaborators, but especially to your technical director and other people on the production team because they're going to be the ones figuring out how to make it real. I told them, hey, this is how I want it to look. This is how I want the profile to read. This is how I want it to like fit together nicely make it happen and they have to be able to suss out from those drawings what they're going to do to build and realize that so once we have the drafting you know it goes into budgeting there's revisions there's this that and the third you know it, it's basically you get it into reality then finally say great and it goes off to the shops and once it goes to the shops and again there's also usually a props element again same idea where usually you're building a list and then you're building a book and it's everything you're doing as a designer is basically being like, these are the choices I would like to make. These are the things that I would, this is the way I would like it to look. So you give that off to the various shops and then they work to translate your visions into reality from the paint charge using your, you also create paint elevations similar to the drafting except for paint. And they're trying to get all those treatments on the, on the works and the technical director is building what you have. You've also handed off your drawings to your collaborators like the lighting designer and others who have to work off that. So boom, 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 goes into the shops, becomes real, becomes big, you answer questions, it goes into the space and then you hit tech. And in tech, that is where you're kind of seeing how things really work in real life for the first time. So that's where you're figuring out, okay, how does this prop actually work? Is it too heavy? Is it doing this? Oh, okay. So that's where you see things in real space and in real time with the actors on top. You're getting them through. It's all really good. Everything looks beautiful and boom, opening night. Bye. Wow. I feel like I just lived all of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have. <laughs> so there's a lot, a lot of steps. It's, Script, research, 
sketch, model, draft, um, you've got your color renderings, you've got your lists and your budgeting process and your shop visits and your tech and it's all also, very and also rehearsal visits. I did I, I did kind of elide that sort of process part, but a lot does right. change shift in rehearsal and production. Like and especially for me, I like to try if I can, I like to get in the rehearsal room as much as possible because man, you learn so much about what you've designed when you start seeing how actors and the director are interacting with it in the rehearsal room and you go, oh, okay, well, let's, and, and you can, it's really, it, it, it's actually a part that I really do like is collaborating in that place and space. Not to, maybe not to change, the, not to necessarily change things so much that, you know, because you, know, you can only change so much before budget and stuff, but you can really start to be like, oh, this is how we could make this work to its best advantage because you guys found this cool thing that I didn't even think about while I was designing it and we can make that work. So that's Yeah, you truly do end up talking to, I think just about every department, um, more so than sometimes the other departments will end up talking to each other, right? So you'll work with the lighting designer, you'll check in with the costume designer to make sure everything's jiving well, but I don't know, maybe the costume designer might not, not be focusing their energy on lighting designer unless they have addressed the lights up you know what I mean like um I think in in terms of scene design it's you know you're wearing a lot of hats and talking to a lot of shops and it's it's just really important to kind of know those relationships and just I mean at the end of the day we're all on the same team right so yeah <laughs> well and, and it is true because at least even just thinking about it on the production end you know for a scenery we are interfacing with at least you know with at least the scene shop, the paint shop, the prop shop, but then we're also oftentimes interfacing with the electrics crew because there's usually practical. So that's the lighting designer and the electrics. And again, and as you said, also with costumes, because a lot of times color and pattern and the way those colors and patterns are going to read against each other. And also, and even, and even thinking about space, like sometimes, uh, you know, if you're not aware that the costume design is this person has a, you know, uh, one foot wide skirt on either side, like, you know, sport costume designers are like, it's cold. Uh, but it's like, if you aren't even accounting for that, yeah, it's right. like, it's a lot of interfacing with both production and your collaborators always, 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 because, and that's how, that's how it is for everyone to an extent, because every decision you make affects everything. Like nothing really can be made in a vacuum. That's why communication is everything. Right. I completely agree, KP. <laughs> yes. um, what are some of your favorite projects you've done recently? Oh, I've done recently. Well, I mean, obviously, Little Shop does hold a a warm, if sad place, and I have I have been very much enjoying doing the showcasing of that. But actually, if I'm, it it's funny. It's a, it was technically a class project, so it's not like something that I've realized yet, unless someone wants to pick it up and do it. Like, let's talk. But um, we did a long design process for uh, West Side Story as a class project, and it was basically, you know, we, we took from the beginning of the semester to the end of the semester to really dig into that script. And I, you know, I was familiar with it in the way that most people are familiar. I'd seen the movie kind of, and I was like, yeah, hey, okay. And I was like, when it was assigned, I was like, yeah, all right, fine. You know, Wes, I don't hate it that much. And then as I dug into that project, 
it was, I just, I ended up reading so much material. I, because I had the time, I was able to read like whole books of like firsthand accounts of young men who had actually been in these gangs and, and what their experiences were. I was really able to get into a lot of, you know, essays about the play and also some of the problematic things about that show that I had encountered too. Like, you know, it's, it's representation of people of color is, is very problematic. And just looking at this script and really digging into the music and having the time to do that, I... I really enjoyed that process. And I do think, you know, I was only, I was only able to realize so much because we did get, we, we went to remote, uh, remote learning. So I did lose access to kind of my larger spaces, my larger studio spaces where I can usually accomplish a little more. But what I ultimately was able to find by that point in designing, I was really pleased and excited about. And I felt like I came away with more from doing that process than I had anticipated. So even though it was only about a class experience, I would say it taught me a lot. And I'm, I'm really glad I interacted as much as I did with that script and got that design. So. Yeah. And, you know, I think in terms of what we're used to in that classroom setting, um, not as many weeks are devoted to the same project. So to have a course that is devoted to one production and you're really just digging right in and going so deep um you did a fantastic job i saw your final model photos and thank you i highly encourage um our listeners to check that out as well again on kpezdesigns.com we'll link it um <laughs> <laughs> do you have any current or upcoming projects that you'd like to tell us about um, no, I'm afraid like others, uh, my, uh, my plans, unfortunately, were COVID canceled, at least for the theater. Um, I do have a lot of things in my own personal life that I'm pursuing. I also think there's, you know, with a couple friends, we are going to pursue, a, a, again, another conceptual slash paper project over the summer. Um, and we're all in, dif we're in different disciplines. So we're hoping to get like scenic and costume and maybe lighting on, you know, just like trying to keep those skills a little bit sharp. Obviously, as we said, paper projects are not the same as a fully realized production, but we're also hoping on this one because we'll be working on the same one that there'll still be maybe a sense of collaboration and working off each other. And uh, so, th so there's, you know, things keep the skills sharp. I'm also hoping to learn uh, some new programs and get a little more invested in some of the other, you know, and I mean computer programs that I already know. But um, yeah, unfortunately, in terms of work, and project projects, not, not so much at present, but there's a lot of, you know, things personally I'm going to pursue and networking I'm hoping to do and really getting into some of the, what the local theaters are doing and how I can best be a good member of the community, even in this moment where I don't anticipate, I just, I don't anticipate having work anytime soon. So. Well, I think it's still fantastic that you and your friends are spread among disciplines are still going to come together and do a paper project. You're still exercising what you're able to do given the limitations that you face. And the fact that I believe you're all, some of you might still be students, some of you might have just finished. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, one, so one of them, uh, my friend Brittany, she's a costume designer, she's also just graduated with her MFA and she's the one who suggested the project and then we're also talking, um, someone who is a current student, uh, Jacob, who's a lighting designer. So, you know, talking about with him about doing that over the summer and who knows, we are, we are likely to 
run into others who want to play as well, you know, depending on everyone's summer plans. So that's kind of, it is kind of a mixed, it's a mixed bag right now. I love that, you know, still some of you have your MFAs, some are still students, but like I said, you're still exercising that creativity that you have. Um, I can't wait to see that because you guys are, you know, such brilliant minds working together um, will produce a brilliant product. <laughs> no pressure, high expectations. <laughs> yes, don't let us down, KP. <laughs> <laughs> so um, keeping all of this in mind and your journey to becoming a designer and the work that you've done, what would you say was your most defining moment as a scenic designer? Hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know, this, I, I think this question is so, because I guess there's like, there's so many, there, there's not many moments, but there's like a few like singular moments, but I guess if I had, if I did have to pick one, it happened, kind of happened a long time, I say a long time ago, but in ye old undergrad, uh, I went to Towson University and we interacted, we were given the script and script analysis called Elephant's Graveyard. And it's a beautiful play by George Brandt. And it's, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a hard show to do. Uh, well, not so much hard, but it just, it has certain challenges like any show. And we all loved it. We all, and myself included, just really deeply and profoundly. And it was in my bucket list. It's like, this is going to be the one. I promise I will get to the moment. I promise. I just need, I give it a little. Yeah, no, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, and especially for a whole freshman theater class to fall in love with the same script never happens, totally singular moment. So it turns out in my junior year, we, it, it got put in our season and I went to my mentor at the time. He remember he remembers it differently from me. I remember going and being like, I would really like any opportunity to be able to work at all on this show, whatever. And he remembers me coming into his office being like, I'm designing Elephant's Graveyard, how we're going to make that happen. So I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I did ultimately get a chance to design it. And you know, it was a show. There's there's I think there's 17 people in the cast. No one ever leaves the stage. The whole show is direct addressed, almost no interaction among characters. And we that show was just cast almost perfectly. My, you know, my friend Sarah was the lighting designer. She was super talented. Our uh, in-house costume designer, Julie, she did these, like the whole show. And I also, the set that my mentor and I like worked really hard to like cultivate and I designed, it just, it worked. It worked so, and there was this particular moment where I, where I just realized how, like not only being in, like watching this for, you know, the first time we really had seen all the elements and being enthralled with the performance going on on stage. But then there was this moment where I had these pieces of poly silk that were clipped up to look like a big top. And then part of the um, trajectory of the show is that some of the people go and they like tear, they like take those down. And we had developed this kind of cool binder clip thing where someone only had to climb the ladder and pull the ribbon. And when they did that, these pieces of poly silk just fluttered in the air, like the way they rode the air as everything else was getting torn down around and it completely changed the action. Like it was just that watching that silk fall and watching those bodies in space, I was just like, this is... It's one of those breathtaking moments that stays with you. I mean, and and to, to know that, like it starts like, I did this, we did this. And again, that, that show in particular, I, 
I'm not sure. And I don't think I need anything else too, but it was just one of those few times where everything was perfect about that show. Everything worked so well and it was just gorgeous. And I, I'm still to this day, I'm so, so glad I was a part of that. But yeah, I think that moment seeing it flutter and watching the whole space just shift and knowing that was because in huge part to the decisions I made and how those decisions were just making this piece of theater live. It was, yeah, that, that's, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a high, a little bit. You just want to bottle that up. Yeah, or like keep, that feeling up. keep trying to find it keep trying and there and there's certainly I think with every show I've done I've had a similar moment like nothing maybe quite so drastic because you know every show is different but like that the, it's still there it definitely like happens in moments and it only brings more definition and more clarity each time it does right oh I do love those moments I think <laughs> Yeah, they're a rush. They're a rush. You just you, you feel your your heart is like up in your throat and like you're you're not crying, but you just you, you feel your eyes, like you feel the pressure and elation and like and, and it's and I think it is because it's not just an I did this, it's a we did this. It's the right. I can't tell who had that idea and how we did it. And I was just this, I was the vector, I was the decider, but I was also the player, I was the collaborator. Like there's something so messy and ordered and great about that the depth of that not just being about you but and in those moments you're truly living and those are the moments that also bring the audience to the theater no matter where in the world you are exactly. oh, kp i love our chats <laughs> <laughs> as do I, as do I. um <laughs> i wanted to ask you so considering all this you might have just answered this next question but what do you love most about your job <laughs> oh man what do i love actually you know there is another aspect i love most about my job it's gonna sound odd but i actually love that it's hard for me i uh and i'm not i'm not trying to sound arrogant, but i just i've always kind of had clever hands and an invested mind and oftentimes when i put myself to a task i can do it and i can do it with only so much effort just because I'm always like digging and always doing, but uh, designing is hard. <laughs> designing is, is really hard. Like the, the, the from an analyze, cause you are ultimately, you're taking a text and trying to make it physical. Like you're trying to pull things from your mind and tell other people how, how to make them real. And then other people make them real. And it's, it's hard. And it's such a puzzle. Like each show is this vast multiverse of possibilities. Like it, it is absolutely could go for most shows. I mean, obviously there are some exceptions that are like really like have like certain very specific structures you have to do. But for most shows, it's like, even when the director gives you a direction, it's still like, okay, you might've taken out some, you definitely did not take out. So you, I just love you. It's a puzzle you make and then a puzzle you have to solve and then a puzzle you have to then present and show other people. And then it's a puzzle you destroy and rescatter the pieces back out. Like it's it really demands a lot and a lot of different skills. And you, if you, I have trouble explaining it because being a scenic designer, you're also like we said earlier, 
you are in script analysis, you are a researcher and a sketcher and a, a model maker, a drafter, you need good photo rendering, mm -hmm. not to mention your communication and collaboration skills, which by the way, if you don't have those. You can be the most talented artist in the world, but it really comes down to how you show up in the room. Like that's, oh, yeah. I mean, and, that, and, that's, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is really about how you show up especially in your relationship with the director and then also in your relationship, like everything. We, I mean, and, and I, I do know it's, it's obviously true for other businesses, other, you know, other, other things. I'm not pretending we're saying, but what we do, like we're making art together, which is very vulnerable and art definitely is subjective and how we all pursue it and perceive it and what is beautiful, what is not and how we, even listen to each other. It's just really, everybody's such a, such, again, you know, this idea I always keep talking about like little universes or multiverse, but everyone is such a universe. And then you want all these universes to come together and make a thing. That is a wild ask. Yeah. That is a wild ask. And again, so being able to communicate and have and keep those relationships. And we do, we, we tend to get pretty pretty close pretty quick because we are making something that is so vulnerable and from our hearts and from ourselves together so yeah it's a it is so much yes obviously your talent and your skills matter but what really makes a difference is how you show up absolutely amen kp <laughs> <laughs> so with each interview that i do i try and tie in an overarching theme or topic that you are passionate about and reflects your life as an artist um affects your life excuse me so with you i thought we could chat a little bit about um mental health and maintaining mental health and artists and kind of what surrounds that could you elaborate on that Sure, I'd love to. So um, this is a this is a topic that's very near and dear to me because as we've you know we've been harping on like not harping but like talking about how our job is difficult, and our job is not only difficult but it also usually has to happen in a fairly short period of time. We're producing a lot of materials, oftentimes alone. Sometimes even if you have an assistant, it's a it's a lot of work. It's a demanding timeline, and it's a de it's a demanding field, and it's also a field that's not necessarily easy to be financially compensated appropriately in it comes with a lot of personalities it comes with a lot of experience it comes with a lot of risk and investing so much of yourself into the project and the process while also trying to like do enough projects and create enough to eat, to be able to live and to be able to function in the industry and that there's a, there's unfortunately a lot of factors that can lead to deprioritizing mental health. I mean, health in general. I mean, I think that's something that's on a lot of people's hearts and minds now with the current, you know, with the, you know, the COVID, the COVID situation, of course, is just how much we didn't, we didn't really take our physical health very seriously. You know, I, I mean, all the, all the layers, and I think especially in our industry, there's sometimes I would say this sort of, this sort of underlying martyr complex where it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm sick, I'm going to show up and do the thing. And oh, I'm going to push through even though I feel like trash. And it's like, we almost like I didn't, and, and you, you see, and yes, part of it is being students, part of it is the demanding, you know, schedule that just came from, but even so like 
and being like, yeah, I just pulled an all nighter. or I just, I have gone only with this much sleep. Like that is, those are themes I have heard throughout in both the educational realm and also the professional. And it really takes a toll on your mental health. And there's, I would say it's, it's really difficult to find avenues to even talk about it or even to disclose the things that we that, that we face and that we deal with and how do we, and, and the, the way that we're asked to produce so much and produce so much creatively, like we are generating so much creative and generating from that creativity takes so much energy. And when you are keep being asked to like produce and produce and produce and produce without stop, it, it, it just can really lead to some terrible mental health practices and it can lead to some terrible outcomes. It can even lead to a lot of physical health issues that like adrenal failure. But like, I mean, really, even if just looking at the small wedge of depression and anxiety and the, how rampant that is through multiple sectors of the artistic community and how it's, again, it's almost kind of like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes even treated a little callous. Like, oh yeah, you have anxiety, boohoo, everybody does. And it's like, but that can, that really ultimately takes a toll on what you're able to offer and what you're able to give. And when you basically create this system that, or like you, you perpetuate the system that's constantly driving, 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 driving without pause, you end up knocking out a lot of people and a lot of potential ideas and talent and art and artistic wealth because we have a system that we're insisting works for the most people, but that's... Yeah, but that's that's only that. I, I guess I, I I question whether how how true that is, and if we actually could take a step to really examining ways to allow for us to talk about our mental health, and also you know working with adjusting the system so that it allows for us to have better mental health, and obviously also advocating for the the bigger things like better access to you know therapy and um, and and psychiatrists and people who can actually assess and provide. You know, provide tactics and medication and things that would actually allow us to manage our health because our health is our wealth, especially in the mental, because so much of what we do lives in the mental areas, and, you know, and there has, there's certainly been some progress. I'm not trying to be like, oh, we're in the dark, but we, I, again, I, I would say definitely as far as I've seen for production and design, there's still a long way, even in just how we talk about it, how we address it, how we face those things. So I, I do have a very, I do have a very strong passion for, you know, seeing, seeing us work towards systems that are less about, you know, grinding, you know, grinding things so far, so fast, so always without really taking into account the time we need to really take care of ourselves. Did that? You, that absolutely. And you cannot, do your best work unless you are at your best physically mentally you cannot give 100% to a project if you don't have 100% to give and yes. something that I champion is um, building a schedule and sticking to it mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of Google Calendar I put everything in I put in having a conversation with someone at a coffee shop about a show, it's in the Google calendar. If I'm going to hang out with my friends on a Friday night, I know it sounds crazy, but it's in the Google calendar. I have to put meals in. I have to put my meals. I have to say, no, you need to stop at noon and eat lunch for at least a half hour. Yeah. 
Like, and I think, especially in coming from an educational institution, right? Institutions are inherently built on schedules. Um, we're given a lot of deadlines and due dates, et cetera. But whenever someone has the chance to ask you, when can I see this back from you? You have the chance to look at that schedule and realistically say, well, save yourself, obviously. Well, if I do an all-nighter, I can get it to them tomorrow. But that's not the healthy option, right? So if you take two hours a day, you can say, you know what? You'll have it next week. And chances are they'll be fine with it because they asked you, when can I see that back? And you don't have to, you know, kill yourself just to try and be your most efficient because the next time someone asks for something, you're still going to be recovering from that all nighter or, you know, try and get back on schedule. And it's, it's just not a conducive way to live. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here. Katie. Oh, you know, the, the way I started framing it in my mind, it's a very simple question. It's, it's usually oftentimes what is being asked, there's what is being asked of you and there's what you actually have to give. And in the best of times, what is being asked you have, you definitely have enough to give. The difficulty comes that as more and more and more is asked of you, you are, you only have so much to give. And once you can't give anymore, then what you're doing is you're borrowing against what you can give and that puts you in debt. Now, I am absolutely like finding the balance of sometimes you do just push through. Sometimes it's like, even if you don't feel like just push it through, punch it. Yes. There's definitely a level of like, sometimes just punch it. You can do it because you are in only so much debt. Like it will only put you in so much debt and then, oh, and then I'll have this much time to recover. But like any other debt, the more you borrow against, it's like a credit card. The more you borrow, the more you spend that you cannot pay back at that deadline at the end of the month, the more your interest is going to climb and the more debt you go into. And it's the same thing with your mental and your physical energy. So it's so, and I just think that if we could frame it a little more where being in debt isn't the cool place to be or isn't the place you always want to be putting yourself or you're always learning to work from that because again that thing like you said that ultimately takes down the quality of your work and you know for me for scheduling one of my big things and I established this really early on um I take a sabbath I take my sabbath on Sundays and you know part of that obviously it does come from you know my faith base you know god my god says that rest is sacred Rest is so sacred that supposedly if God could take a day off, I feel like I should be right. able to somehow do that. And I, and it, and I, I, you know, and I didn't from, you know, I would do other things, but I wouldn't do school things. I would not do design things. I took that day. And I tell you what, that one day, that one day a week, I mean, six other days a week, I was going, I'm not even going to admit that on here, but I, you know, the six other days a week. <laughs> I was pounding it, but that one day, I think, is the thing that kept me from actually having a true breakdown. I'm not exaggerating. That I, I think having that one day kept me together and allowed me to accrue back enough that I could keep giving at the level that I was. So even that, and even that, there's some there are some who might hear to go, wow, yeah, you're never you maintain, yeah, maintain that good luck. But I'm like, but if more people set this boundary and more people respected it and it worked. I did good work in grad. I don't know really many people would have complaints about the ultimate results of my work in grad school. 
So it's like, it can, it can work. I just, it's like anything else, the systems we perpetuate are the systems we accept. Wow. Put, put that on a t-shirt, put <laughs> it on a coaster. Yes. I've already <laughs> got my line sent out for copyright. Be ready. Um, I, I really think that watching you as a graduate student during a time where I was an undergraduate student and seeing that you might have been the only person who never, never consistently stayed late at night because you, I, you figured out a very efficient method of operation um, to the point where I would go looking for you and if I saw you with headphones, I'd walk right back out of the room because <laughs> it is not time to talk to KP. She's working and she will be out by six. Um, <laughs> Some nights, yeah. I mean, let, I mean, there were a few, there were definitely late nights, but yeah, you're, you're right. I was, I tried, I tried not to do that every night. And coming from another place where you, yeah, you really just grinded all the way through and you never had to pull those all-nighters and I would return to where undergraduates were gathering and undergraduates are kind of, you know, notorious for <laughs> um, being occupied with other things and getting backed into a corner where a bunch of us would be there through the night. So it was just very uplifting to see that there was someone out there, someone in the community who was able to hack it and not get stuck overnight. So I champion you on your scheduling abilities and, you know, sticking to your Sabbath day. Um, yeah, that was, that was really great to look up to. Yeah, no, well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm touched. I'm touched very much that that was something that was meaningful to you. Cause yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes to see past it's sometimes hard to see past your own fog to know that there are others out there, even though we, we work so closely as a community. I mean, I know I definitely, I, I would say that when you, I, when you did come up and you would talk, it was always like a bright light. Like I'd usually be so like in, in this moment. And then I'd look up and I was like, Oh, hi Morgan. Yes. There, there is life beyond whatever this tiny, stupid piece of model furniture I'm trying to cut. <laughs> like, tell me everything. Tell me what's good. Tell me what's bad. Just let me be reminded that it's not just about this tiny chair whose leg I just broke for the fourth time. And now I have to <laughs> go cry in my corner. Please. And I, I just love seeing what you guys were up to. And I think taking a break from my work to see what other people are working on was always a great time. <laughs> yeah, no, you were definite, you were here, there, and everywhere, always. I was just always like, oh, she, like, I, I feel like I would, like, walk down to one night, and I'd see you working, and be like, okay, then I'd, like, turn around to go to the box office, and you'd be there, and be like, oh, okay, and then I'd go back up to the grad lab, and you'd be like, Morgan, what, are you, are you cloning yourself? Like, how did you do that? There's no way you could have gotten from here to here to here. You just always seemed like you were always so invested in here and there while also getting great work done. I was just like, goodness gracious, this person. <laughs> here, there, and everywhere for sure. <laughs> so finally, what, if anything, would you like our listeners to know about how the entertainment industry is being affected by COVID-19 and what are some alternative ways that you know of that people can still support the arts and the artist community? Yeah, so I guess what I would want people to know is just to, 
I think it's what I'd want them to know even beyond COVID times that they're, that what we have and what we're doing is of value. And also at least in specific to COVID time, there is the sense that we are not coming back quickly. Like it's not, it's not like a restaurant or these other things, you know, that we can come back with restrictions and everything is cool. It's like what we do and the way we do it and how everything is structured is predicated on months and months of planning, weeks and weeks of time, and all these people hired before you even see the show. And not to mention when you actually get to the show and sitting close together with a whole bunch of people. Like there's just so many factors that in order for our industry to operate, we have like so many have put it out to like next year or, you know, months and months away. And, you know, of course that may change. But just, I would, I would just beg others to just um, remember us kindly and remember those who are local to you as well as national, like, and, and also taking the opportunity to really see what is on offer. You know, I've been really enjoying, obviously, the Met and uh, the Nationals here. They've been so kind to release a lot of free things. I also just uh, discovered that, there, that there's a Native American community that, I'm going to botch this, it's, I think it's American Indian Community House. I will. I can. I can send you the link later. But uh, they do Theater Thursday, and they do really beautiful play readings by you know uh, Native writers and actors, and you know the whole company just coming together. And it's. I, I watched one last week. It was fantastic. But really digging in and seeing what you know, not theaters, artists, music, and just keeping that as much as, much as you can. Obviously, everybody is struggling, and we're all working together, but. You know, artists, if there's something we love and value deeply, it's community and it's talking to the community, especially for theater artists. We love our people. We love other people and we want to be there and take care. So that's, I think, just what I would, I I would say is just keep it alive in your own purview and then keep, and keep it alive at moving forward and, you know, keeping an eye on your local your local and your national and beyond for the arts and whatnot, because there's so much to do and there's so much to say, and there's so many systems to build up and undermine and make better and question and artists are artists. We're doing that. And we, we want to do it together and with you, however that looks. So I I know that may have been a little rambling, but that's. No, that was perfect. Well, there are a lot of resources out there, and I always like to remind remind the community that the only way we get through this is by supporting each other, supporting the art, supporting artists, and that's how we will get to the other side of it together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there is there's so much cause to question. There's so much cause to hope. And also I would say, historically speaking, there's a good indication that there's not a disappearance and that we're not disappearing. Everything adapts and folds and moves. And I would just say taking this time and taking advantage of it to place more value on the arts. Cause you know, in this country, at least, you know, sometimes it is hard, you know, sometimes being an artist is seen as a side gig or something yeah. that- you do just as a hobby and it can be like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, if that's, if that's what it is to you, then please always move forward. However, but for those of us who are career artists, there is sometimes a sense that 
of sort of, of sort of just this uh, bafflement, like, oh, well, it doesn't make that much money. It doesn't do this, doesn't it? But what it is doing is powerful and important. And it I can totally agree. Yeah. yeah, it's what we do is so powerful, so important, and we will endure this time. Yeah. So KP, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It means a lot. No problem. It's truly my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking. So for our listeners, I'm your host, Morgan Shea. Tune in next week to the Spot Night series. And that concludes this episode with Faith P. We are signing off.